Ephesians chapter 5 is our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read one verse as our text. We're going to really work our way through the entire chapter and into the next chapter. Don't get too concerned. Some of y'all are looking at your watch about the time I said that. We're going to move quickly. But I want to preach to you this morning on an awake church in a woke world. The word woke, let me just give you a little bit of background. It was about a, almost 100 years ago it began to be used, and it was used in a good way. It was used in the sense of someone who is aware of injustices and racism. Now, certainly, we will say from the beginning, straight up front, that the Bible categorically is against racism and injustice. There is no room in the, child, in the heart of the child of God for either one of those things. We saw a great passage about that this morning in our Sunday school in James chapter 5, where he talks about the injustice of those who grew, who gained wealth by treating their laborers unjustly. So we categorically understand that we're against that. But over time, that term has accumulated a lot of baggage with it. It has accumulated some things in our day that are uh, against the Bible, even anti-Christian, and it's a, it's a whole... It's a whole train load of things that have been attached to it. And I, I get concerned because I hear some Christians acting like this is, the, this is the one thing that, boy, if we could just get this straightened out. Isn't it interesting that it's always been, the church has sort of had the idea, if we could just get this one thing taken care of, everything would be good. And that's not the case. Apparently some of y'all have that thought this morning. We think if we can just deal with this one thing, and so all the, this has become the boogeyman. And, and we live in a time when there's a lot of wrong thinking. Someone has described uh, the ideology behind wokeism or wokeology as being this. I am central, and I am the source of truth. Now, that sounds very much like a, a, an age-old way of thinking. It's the way of thinking that Satan used to, to tempt Adam and Eve and draw them. It's the wrong thinking of every sin. I'm the one that gets to define what is true. I'm the one that gets to say what is right and what is wrong. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's nothing new. That's been around for centuries. And that's the mentality that the world has and that often seeps into the hearts of people in, in the church. And yet, in the middle of wicked times, in the middle of evil times, what is the answer? It is not whether we are woke or not. It is whether, as we'll see in our text this morning, whether the church is awake. You see, we can get so distracted with other things. We can look to other things. We can look to problems in our society, in our world. But revival is not about unbelievers. Revival is in the hearts of God's people. Revival starts in the church. You can't be revived unless you first have been vived. How many of y'all been vived this morning? Say amen. But then revival is God bringing us back to where we ought to be. It is God waking us up from our sleep. I want you to see verse 14 in chapter 5. Wherefore he saith. Let me back up just a minute. Verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We're not talking about ignoring what's wrong. We're not talking about ignoring sin. 
He says, reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. He says the things that unbelievers, the things that our society, the things that our world do, Christians ought not even talk about them. It is a shame. Well, there are some things that are talked about in, in our churches and in our society that it's a shame to even hear it coming out of someone's mouth. It's commonly accepted and it's, it's celebrated. And he says, don't even be talking about these things. Verse 13, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, here's our text. He saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Paul is saying that our lifestyle should be one that reflects what took place when we got saved. You see, I was made alive. I received the light of Christ when I was saved. I became what Paul will describe elsewhere as a child of the light. I am a person, a citizen of the day. And because of that, I am to live differently than those who are not believers. They are children of the night. We live in the night season. When Christ, the Son, when the light left this world and ascended from this world, that's darkness, and we are in darkness. Paul will say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are not of the night nor of the darkness, but we are of the day. But we are living in a night season. And that night season did not just start in the last 30 years. And it didn't just start in America. It has been around the world since Christ departed. It is a time of spiritual nighttime and spiritual darkness. But Paul says, we are of the day. And therefore, we're to be awake. We're to be alert. We're to live in the night as if it were broad daylight. Now, some of y'all have experienced that. You've had to work night shifts. You've had to work, and your body gets sort of, you, you feel like you're in sort of, out of balance because you're used to you're used to doing at night what you've been doing in the day and that's exactly why the Christian should never feel in balance with this world because we are not living of this world we are living in a night time so what is the answer what does God say to us does he say you need to change all these things in the world no he says you need to wake up and the answer for us this morning is not to fight the battles of this world. The answer for us is to be spiritually renewed and revived and awakened. We need to be not whether we're woke or not woke. We need to be an awake church. We need to be awake believers. Following this, Paul is going to give eight different commands. Now, some of you, I told you we were going to go through two chapters and now when I say eight commands, you're thinking, boy, this is going to be an eight-point sermon. It's going to be eight very quick points. But I want you to see them this morning because every one of them flows from this being awake. We're praying for revival. We want to be awake. How easy is it for us to fall asleep? Boy, I'm finding more and more, the older I get, the easier it is to fall asleep. Can I get an amen from I used to wonder when I was a kid how old people, and by old, I mean anybody that's 40, 10 years younger than I am now, could fall asleep so fast. I had an aunt, and I hope none of her children are watching this. So 
please don't anybody share this and tag any of them on Facebook. She could fall asleep mid-sentence. She not only could fall asleep, she could go from talking to snoring just like that. She could go from half a word to a full snore in like two seconds. And I never could understand that. She used to have a cat that would lay up on her while she was sleeping, and she'd, she'd snore one in, and we just knew she was going to snore at that cat right up her nose. If the cat ever disappeared, we'd know that she had. I sat down to watch a TV show the other day. It's probably Andy Griffith. Y'all know that. And before they were finished whistling, I was out. It's amazing. It's even more amazing how quickly how quickly we can fall asleep spiritually. We can be full of life. We can be ready to go. We can be doing all the things that we know we're supposed to do. And before we know it, so easily we drift off into sleep. And Paul says, it's time to wake up. The answer for living in evil times is for the church to be awake and alive and revived. That's the answer. So what does it look like? Let's move quickly through this. I'll talk quick. You listen quick. First of all, he says in verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, Christ will give thee light. See then. This is flowing from that awakening. It's flowing from that light that we're living as if we were saved. We're living in the life that we were saved into. Verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Walking in wisdom. Walking in the wisdom of the word of God an awareness of what's going on around us, an awareness of what's taking place spiritually. There are a lot of people who are highly aware of what's taking place in our country and in our world. They watch the news 24-7. And you talk to them, you don't have to have a long conversation, and they're aware. But their spiritual awareness is minimal. They don't see the spiritual truth behind it. They don't see what's taking place. And they're all about how bad things are. But he says, I want you to walk circumspectly. I want you to walk looking at everything around. Someone described this, I believe it was Vance Havner that said, walking circumspectly is like an alley cat walking a back fence with a Doberman pincher on one side and a bulldog on the other side. If you've ever seen a cat walk, You see how precisely they walk. Walking circumspectly. That's how we're to live our lives. We're to live our lives with care and concern of what is taking place and around us and the dangers around us and the sins around us and the temptations around us. Some of us are so much concerned about the sins of other people and we never once give a moment's thought to our own. God calls us to be awake. God calls us to be revived. And he will call us to an awareness of our sinfulness and an awareness of the sins in our lives. He will convict us and he will call us to repentance. And that's being awake. Are you awake this morning? Are you walking circumspectly? Are you walking in wisdom? Verse 16 says that we are to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. I want to point out to you real quick the contrast in these first verses between what he calls us to and what is going on. He says in verse 15, be wise, not as fools. Verse 16, we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. He says, be not unwise, verse 17. Don't be unwise, don't be evil. We live in evil times. There's no question about it. But there have always been evil times. Ever since Adam sinned, it has been an evil time. We tend, we tend to think that the sins of our generation are the worst sins that have ever been. 
but we are to redeem the time. Paul says this in the first century. Over 2,000 years ago, Paul says, redeem the times because we're living in evil times. It's evil now, but yes, we're to do the same thing. The answer for the church is to be awake. The same answer for the church in the first century is the same answer for the church in the 21st century. To be awake, to be watchful, and to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeem means to buy back, to purchase, to make good use of the time that God has given to us. Our time is slipping away, and we need to use it wisely. Many of us in our country, Christians, want to stick their head in the sand and ignore it. Some people want to run around like a chicken with their head cut off. We need to be alert. We need to be aware, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Verse 17 says we are to, if we're awake, we're going to be understanding holiness. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? First Thessalonians says, this is God's will, even your sanctification. God wants us to be made holy. God wants us to be like Christ. God wants his will done in our life. That's wisdom. The unwise is the way of going our own way, doing it ourselves, having our way. We live in a, we live in a society that is rooted in, it's all about me. I am the center of all, and I am the source of truth. And that is contrary. That is, that is the heart of Satan, it's not what Jesus calls us to. I, I came very close, and I will preach it probably in the near future, to preaching this morning on the truth and principle of dying to self. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you, can't, if you don't die to self, you cannot be my disciple. It's not optional. It is mandatory that we die to self. And our culture, our society has indoctrinated in us in follow your heart, do it your way, it's, it's all about you. It's centered on the, on the I. And Jesus calls us, God calls us to submit and to surrender. And wisdom is seeking God's will and God's way rather than our own. Being understanding about holiness. This is God's will. Verse 18, being filled with the Spirit is part of being awake. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the Spirit. Now hear me carefully. I believe clearly and firmly in the principles of Scripture about being drunk with wine and what the Bible says about it. But I wish that Christians were as adamant about obeying the second part of this commandment as we were the first. He says, be not drunk with wine. Woo, got that. No, <laughs> no lips that have touched liquor will touch mine was the old saying years ago with the, the temperance movement. But the second part says be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to be under the complete control of the Holy Spirit. It means to get out everything, my will, my way, my desires, my ambitions, and put them aside so that the Holy Spirit fills and controls me. Why do we have to be filled? Because it's a continuous verb. It is continuing to happen. It's not a one-time thing. Being baptized by the Spirit into Christ is a one-time thing. The Holy Spirit indwelling me is a one-time thing. But being filled with the Spirit is a continuous thing. Why? Because there's two commands that we often break from the New Testament. One is quench not the Spirit. 
quenching the Spirit is when I don't do something the Holy Spirit moves me to do and tells me to do. When there's a clear command from Scripture or when the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and moves me and says, share the gospel with that person. And I say, well, I don't know. I'm a little timid about that. God, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing this. And I bypass and I don't listen to the promptings of the Spirit. In those instances and when I disobey a clear command of Scripture, I am quenching the work of the Spirit in my life when I don't submit to His sanctifying work. The second command is to not grieve the Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. I'm sealed unto the day of redemption, but it is possibly for, possible for me to do things that the Holy Spirit has told me not to do. I grieve Him. That sin grieves the heart of God. And when I do that, I need to be once again filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is a continual, daily, often multiple times a day prayer that we need to pray. I come to God and I say, God, I'm asking you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I have the promise of your word that whoever will ask will receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying to be filled with the Spirit. And then I go through my day and I grieve or I quench the Spirit and I know that I need to be filled once again. Can you imagine what it would be like if every believer in our church if every Christian in our country was continually and daily obeying that command, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, can you imagine what a difference it would make? You see, we're looking for all kinds of solutions. We're looking for all kinds of answers. We're trying to find, oh, this is the strategy that will win our country back. This is the strategy that will get folks back in the church. Let me tell you that we'll what will happen is when the Holy Spirit of God comes on the people of God, like He did in the book of Acts, and they begin to live filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit, then God is going to do His work. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And the church that is awake is a church that is being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just in a Sunday morning service. And it's not just in a revival service. And it's not just in a moment of excitement. It is an everyday thing that we are to be filled with the Spirit. A church that is awake. Look at verse 19. I love this. And I love that it flows from being filled with the Spirit. But a church that is awake is one that is singing joyfully speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You can tell when a church is alive by how they sing. Now, I'm not here to beat up anybody, pick on anybody. But the next time we're singing a congregational song, ask yourself, am I singing from my heart to the Lord? I understand not everybody is gifted at singing. Is that putting it nicely? Yeah, I think that's about as nice as I know how to say it. Not everyone has equal giftings in this area. That's not what we're called to do. He says we're singing and making melody, singing to one another. We're testifying of God's truth. We're testifying to one another of the songs we sang just a moment ago, and I love, to hear the, I love to hear the full congregation sing. I love when the praise team sings. I love when vocalists and soloists sing, and I love to hear the choir sing. But when we sing together, 
we are singing praises to God and we are testifying to the truth that all of us have believed in together. It is a unifying moment when all of us are saying the same words and speaking the same truth and singing the same song and it draws us together into a heart of union with God and with one another. And he says, singing to yourselves in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs. Some people get caught up on what kind of song we're going to sing. Let me tell you, he said psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That pretty much covers it all. A lady came to church Spurgeon one time and she said, Pastor, I think we should only sing the psalms from the Old Testament, from the book of Psalms. He said, well, dear lady, when you can bring me the tunes, we'll sing them. Let me tell you that there's psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The key is the truth and the spirit that is in us as we sing. I've heard people say, boy, that song that that person sang is a special. Well, it was a spirit-filled song. You know what I love to hear? I love to hear the church, a spirit-filled church singing to God. The church that's awake is singing joyfully. And then they're giving thanks continually. Giving thanks always for all things. Boy, that's a tough command, isn't it? Giving thanks always for all things. Unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A church that's awake, that has been revived, is a thankful church. Grateful for what God has given to us as individuals and as a church. We are so blessed. We are blessed by God and we should be thankful. Number seven is submitting to one another in love. Look at verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Well, that's a broad statement. What does that look like? Well, Paul says, I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to take about, the Holy Spirit's going to inspire Paul for about the next 12, 15 verses or so to explain what it looks like to submit to one another. He says, husbands, submitting to your wives looks like loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wives. Wives, see that you reverence, see that you respect your husband. That is how you are to submit to them as unto the Lord, just like the church is supposed to submit to Christ. And immediately, every time I have ever preached this or taught this, I believe every time someone comes up to me and says, but you just don't know my wife. Or, if you only knew my husband, I've got some three loving words to say to you. I don't care. Now, I do care if there's, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm talking about the obedience to this command. When did we decide that God's commands were optional? That God's commands were just up to whether we felt like it or not? God did not say, husbands, love your wives as long as they love you back or as long as they're lovable. Because let's be honest, all of us at one point or another are not very lovable. Did God love us because, all right, hey, wait, wait, let's back up a minute. Did, he said, as Christ loved the church. When Christ loved the church, did the church love Christ back? No. I'm going to answer no, lest some of y'all holler out the wrong answer. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. Not that we loved God, not that we loved God. So the command, husbands, for you to love your wives is not if she is lovable or if she respects you like she's commanded. My obedience to God's commands are not based on the obedience of others. 
They are based on God's commands. Can I get an amen on that? You see, isn't it interesting that we want to be that strict and we would say that about other commands, but when it comes to wives, reverence your husbands, respect your husbands. Well, I don't find my husband very respectable. I don't care. God said, respect your husband as the church is to respect Christ. And then we get to Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents. And a guy came to me one time. He said, I wish you'd, pre- I wish you'd preach on Ephesians 6, 1. I said, I tell you what, I'll preach on Ephesians 6, 1 when you start living Ephesians 5, 31. When you start loving your wife and obeying that command, then I'll think about beating your kids up when they come to church and telling them they need to obey your parents. Isn't it amazing how quickly we want, we want everybody else to obey that command? But our obedience is to be obedient regardless. I don't know about y'all, but I was raised, when my dad told me to do something, I didn't come to him, and I, there was no court of appeals. Can I get a testimony? Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. And God's exactly the same way. We don't bargain with God. We don't say, well, God, there were extenuating circumstances. God says, I don't care. God gave the command. And husbands are to, that's a, that is a command. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Boy, it got real quiet when I got on that passage. Y'all like the part about singing joyfully and... Amen, preacher. That's good preaching. (laughs) If y'all won't amen it, I will. Why do we do that? He says in chapter 6, because it's the Lord. We do it as to the Lord. That's where a revived, awake church is. We do what we do for the Lord. One last truth that Paul will give us further down. He goes to this whole section about submission. He talks about um, servants and masters, laborers and, and bosses, those kind of things. And he comes down to verse 10. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. A church that is awake must be preparing for spiritual warfare. Preparing for spiritual warfare. You see, that's what we've got to understand, folks. Our battle in this world is not with people. Paul will say, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with news channels, and we wrestle with social media, and we wrestle with people who disagree with us. It's not who we wrestle with. Let me tell you that the people who oppose Christ and the people that we disagree with are not our enemies. They are captives of our enemy. Let that sink in for just a moment. I believe I need to say that. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a man that's involved in sexual immorality. And Paul says to the church, with such a one, don't have anything to do. 
He said, I don't say this about those who are without. I don't say this about unbelievers, but I say this about those within the church. But what do we do in our day when someone holds a view or a lifestyle or an opinion that we disagree with? We start a boycott. I'm going to separate from those without the world. Paul said if you separated from every sinner in the world, you'd have to go join a monastery. Because they're sinners. Look, we expect the world to do what the world does. But he says you separate from the sinful believers. What have we done in our day? We've reversed it. We've continued to fellowship with those who live in sin, and we've separated from the people of the world that disagree with us. I expect the world, I expect unbelievers, I expect those who are people of the darkness to live in darkness. And what they need is not me bashing their darkness, they need me shining the light of Jesus Christ into their lives. And they need a church that is prepared to acknowledge that what we face is not a battle with the news media, and it's not a battle with Washington, and it's not a battle with the education establishment. Our battle is against principalities, against the rulers of the darkness, against this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we need to get ready for that. We We need to quit trying to fight in this battle, and we need to fight in a spiritual battle. We need to be awake. We need to be alert. God has put us in a specific time, in a specific place, and He has said, you are my watchmen. You are my guards. Now put on the armor. Now stand. Now pray. Prepare yourselves. And what are we doing? We're overhead here with our face stuck in the ground, bemoaning all the wickedness that's going on. I'm not saying we acknowledge and accept wickedness. I'm saying this is spiritual battle. This is spiritual warfare. And a church, our church, must be awake and alive and alert and ready for battle, spiritual battle. Because our enemies are not those that disagree with us. They are the captives of our enemies. And we are not on a... We're, most of the time we're trying to We're trying to attack when God sent us on a rescue mission. Why do we do this? Why do we need to be awake? Why do we need to be alert? I don't take the time to go to these texts this morning, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6 says, We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us watch. Let us be alert and let us be serious-minded and let's be awake. And in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, he says, The time is far spent. The day is at hand. What is the day? It is the returning of the light. It is the returning of Jesus Christ. And He is coming back. And the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore put off. Let us be watching. Let us be alert. Let us be living as if we are ready for Him to return. I am excited about our revival coming up. But I am even more excited that Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ is going to return. And the day is, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let's live awake. Let's be alive. Let's be alert to what God is doing. Let's be a part of what God is doing. And he says, awake, you that sleep. Are you spiritually drowsy this morning? Do you find yourself just sort of drifting in spirituality and in your walk with Christ? It's time to wake up. It's time to be awake and alive. 
And that is our prayer that God will stir us and God will renew us. He will give us the light. He, boy, nothing will wake you up like a strong light in your face. When you're asleep and you just can't wake up, boy, you flip that light on. It'll wake you up. We need God to shine his light on us to wake us up. That's what we need in evil days. That's what we need in our culture. That's what we need in our world. We need some awake Christians. We need an awake church. Father, wake us up. Lord, we need to be awake. We need to be jolted out of our lethargy. We need to be shocked out of our complacency. We need to be raised from our drowsiness. Lord, as you said to the disciples, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Lord, you've given us this hour, this time, to be your light and your witness and your testimony. And Lord, we're drifting off to sleep. Father, I pray that we will be a church that's not only alive, but a church that's awake. Speak to us this morning, we pray. This morning, God may be speaking to your heart. Maybe you realize where you're drifting and you need to come and just kneel at this altar and say, God, wake me up. Wake me up. Lord, I, I need these things in my life. Some of these, these characteristics, these marks have spoken to me. I need to be filled with the Spirit. I need to be walking in the Spirit. I need to be singing joyfully. I need to, I need to be in the right relationship in my family. I need to be obedient to your commands. I need to be walking wisely. Whatever God may speak to your heart about, I invite you to come. This morning, maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. We'd love to talk with you about that now or at the end of the service. But if God speaks to you this morning, you can come down to these aisles. We'll have someone take the Word of God and show you how you could be saved. Father, renew us, revive us, awaken us. We pray.